welcome to the spotlight day number 14 of national podcast post month we are almost at that halfway mark we're very quickly approaching it and this one is something special let me tell you uh welcome to the spotlight i am your host ben beck and this one is with actor david newell who you may not know by name but if you're familiar with mr rogers neighborhood he was the mailman mr mcfeely um interesting how this one even came about we happened to run into him at a convention adam and i my former host we looked at each other we're like well let's you know let's see if there's be any interest in him coming on the podcast and talking to us i mean he's he's older i mean he's in his 80s already at this point and we didn't know what to expect, but he happily accepted. We got his contact information. We reached out. We set it up. We didn't know what to expect about having him on, and we were absolutely blown away. The stories, we talked to him for almost an hour, and the stories that he has, we didn't even scratch the surface of the stories that he has about himself, his career, working on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, working with Fred Rogers, giving us stories about Fred. It, it was it was such an incredible interview. Uh, we always intended to have him back on, but unfortunately, it, it didn't happen. It could still happen uh, sometime in the future. Let's hope. Um, but this one is really something truly special. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Just... Sit back, relax, and enjoy this one. Day 14, National Podcast Post Month with David Newell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcast as we head into our interview for this week. Now, we're always excited to talk to our guests, but this guest uh, holds a very special place in our hearts as he was a huge part uh, of our childhoods. I know at least mine. I'm pretty sure, Adam, he was a big part of yours, yes. too. Uh, a few months back, we had uh, at Great Philadelphia Comic Con, we had the opportunity to meet and speak to this gentleman, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Uh, so, of course, you know, we said, we've got to get him on the podcast. We've got to get him on the show. Uh, well, the time is finally happening. The time is finally here. You would know him best as the lovable mailman, Mr. McFeely, on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Please welcome to the program, Mr. David Newell. David, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm glad I could do it. Speedy delivery. It took us a few weeks to get a schedule worked out, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I got to start by saying, too, uh, you say the speedy delivery, and it gives me, like, it might, It makes my heart flutter because it just... <laughs> It, I've, I just, it brings back so many memories of watching that show when I was younger, just to hear you say it. That, that's, uh, uh, so many people say that, and, and, you know, I say it's sort of second nature now, but so many people say, say oh, just say it once, just say it once. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been, and I, I think it, over the years we used it as sort of an all-purpose greeting or goodbye or how are you or good day, whatever. Speedy delivery can mean many different things. But, you know, how it all came to be, how Speedy Delivery came to be, is that on the first taping we did, the first show, this is back in 1967, we started taping uh, in black and white oh, uh, about four months in advance before we went on the air. And so we had a backlog. And so I made the uh, delivery to Fred Rogers, and it was an armadillo. <laughs> Why an armadillo? <laughs> I can't remember now, but that's what it was. 
And as I left, I said, well, I've got to uh, get back to the uh, zoo or wherever I brought the armadillo from. And said, well, speedy delivery. And, and, and Fred said, speedy delivery, Mr. McFeely. And it sort of stuck. And every time I came or left the, uh, his house, I would say speedy delivery. And it became, I guess, uh, a famous catchphrase. A lot of people use it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like aloha in Hawaii. Yeah, where... yeah, no, you're right. That's an or shalom. Yeah, uh, it, it means hello and goodbye at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it does it, and good day or whatever. So yes, yes, and even sort of a warm greeting. And uh, Fred and I would use it a lot. Uh, just when he he would call uh, the house about something we had to do the next day or something I had to get or whatever. And he would say, speedy delivery. You know? <laughs> so it was, it, 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 it was, a, it's a part of my life now. I use it in everyday <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine how many times those words have, have been spoken oh, by you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I could, I could, I could not count uh, after, after almost six, 1967 till, Still, I'm still doing appearances. So, how many years is that? That's yeah. it's like almost fifty. <laughs> multiplied, yeah, yeah <laughs> multiplied uh, by thousands of times. So, anyhow, yes. Yeah. But you know, it it it's it's every every speedy delivery has meant something to me. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. I'm still working as Mr. McFeely. I do a lot of events like the Comic Con. But I do, um, just recently I did a, an event in western Pennsylvania uh, where there's a big Westmoreland County Arts Festival, and I was there. And so many people who, of, of your guys' age, came up to me and said how much the program meant to them as they were growing up. And it's, I hear so many different stories. In fact, I'd like to, I'm trying to put together a book uh, called Speedy Delivery of My Years Working with Fred Rogers. Um, and I'll, you know, it's not easier said than done. There's yeah. a there's a, a documentary, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but called Speedy Delivery that's out now. Yeah, you you had mentioned that to us when we were at um, at the con, and unfortunately, yeah. we we haven't had an opportunity to see it yet. I really do want to because I've seen, I've seen clips and I've seen the trailer on YouTube and things like that. But I I really do want to see that documentary. Well, if your listeners uh, want to ever get a copy of it or watch it, I know there's a web for it. Uh, it's called SpeedyDeliveryMovie.com. All run together. Speedy Delivery Movie. Dot com and you can I, I think buy a copy there or at least see a preview of it so that's that's a source and then there is, I think a lot of libraries have it PBS showed it uh, some years back too so a lot of people maybe have made copies of it themselves but but in that there's a lot of uh, uh, interviews with people I've worked with and there's one of Fred Rogers wife and and my wife and of our kids, our, our my two sons. My daughter was not living in Pittsburgh at the time, and so she's not in it. But uh, the two sons are. So it was a lot of fun to make, and and uh, the person who made it now is living in uh, Los Angeles and working for. Uh, he was working for Pop Sugar for a while. I think he's doing some uh, a similar show now too. But he uh, he grew up with it too. This his name is. Paul Germain, and he was in Pittsburgh at 
working on a postdoctorate and met me somewhere at a mall and said, I'd like to do a, a documentary on you as a product. I said, well, fine. Uh, and then I didn't hear from him for about six months, and one day he showed up and said, well, I'm ready to begin. <laughs> <laughs> he did. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think I read somewhere too. I think the the documentary only had a budget of what, like four thousand dollars? Yeah, four or five thousand, and he got a couple more thousand from Carnegie Mellon University, where he was working on his postdoctorate. Yeah, and he put together this this wonderful. Uh, it really did a good job. He had some friends who all worked in the business, and they one of them. I remember recording part of it at a. Uh, studio in Los Angeles where a friend of his worked and during the lunch hour when they weren't using a recording studio we recorded our our dialogue for you know the director's cut when you talk about you know how they sit down and say now today they show the 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 documentary again and then they talk over it Mm -hmm. Uh, we recorded that in LA and parts of it in Maryland when I was visiting a children's museum and so it was a a lot of fun it brought back a lot of memories too yeah um i i want to go back to to the beginning a little Uh bit um you know obviously if mr rogers neighborhood you said you started filming back in like 1967 that's right uh how did the character of mr mcfeely come to be well let's see well actually the name was not mcfeely for during the first script that I received. I met Fred in the early fall of 1967. Well, I'll tell you where how it all began. Is I was in Europe the summer of 1967. I had a cousin who was in the Navy, and I went over to visit him. He was in London. And then I met a friend of mine who was there uh, studying uh, studying, and uh, we, we met and traveled a little bit, and I got a a telegram from a mutual friend of Fred Rogers and, and mine. I didn't know Fred, but I knew of him. And to make a long story short, I got the telegram. There were no cell phones or computers then. Yeah. So I went to the American Express office, got this telegram saying that Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was going to go national. It was just a regional program at the time. And now that I'll, I'll, I'll cut this short. And he uh, set up a, a interview with me for for uh, a possible job on the program and i came back to the states and met fred and i talked to him for about an hour and he said he gave me the job uh it was that quick and he i was the last one he interviewed and he said well we're going to start taping uh in about three weeks and here's the, the scripts and my job was production assistant i was to be in charge of all of the props and costumes and be his assistant really and he said oh i'd like you to do this this part of uh, the delivery man i'm writing in and his name's going to be mr mccurdy that was the name <laughs> and it's in the script the first couple of scripts that mccurdy you know and it was that until we started the first day we were going to tape, I was all set. I got all the props ready, and I was in my costume ready for the tape, and a phone rang. And Fred was called to an office, and it was Sears Robux Foundation calling, saying, uh, first day of taping, they gave the, they were underwriting it, or part of it, and they were saying to call to say, you know, 
good luck on your first day of taping. We love the concept, the script, et cetera, et cetera. However, please don't call the delivery man Mr. McCurdy because <laughs> Fred wrote his own scripts and the Sears uh, gave the money. And the man's name who decided this at Sears was McCurdy. And Fred was basically saying, thank you. You know, thank you, Mr. McCurdy. And they said, it's a little too self-serving, they thought. So maybe you could change that. And Fred said, well, okay. And he came in the studio. I knew something was up. And he said, well, you know, we... Uh, uh, but, but now your name is going to be uh, McFeely. That's it, McFeely, because his middle name is McFeely and his grandfather's name is McFeely. So he was calling me in honor of his grandparent, uh, his grandfather. So that's how McFeely came about. It was okay. really, it was really literally ten minutes before we began that he came up with the name, uh, and so. Here I am, Mr. McCurdy. <laughs> yeah, so many, so many years later, and the name is still. Yes, still and there. his, uh, his, uh, uh, that was his mother's father, uh, Mr. McFeely, and it was, you know, and the irony to all of this, the person who sent the telegram, whose name was Bob McCulley, uh, he told me years later that his mailman and at his street in Pittsburgh, believe it or not, his name was McFeely. You know how <laughs> how close is that? You know, I said, "You're kidding me! It can't be," and it was. It's a real name, and uh, I've met some McFeelys over the years who've come up to me and say, "We're the McFeely family," and they were <laughs> there. They were standing in front of me, the McFeelys, and I was you know, I, I would sign to to the McFeely family for Mr. McFeely, et cetera. And then there's a there's a teacher in Pittsburgh, one of the Pittsburgh schools here that every so often I'll run into somebody who had a Mr. McFeely for their English teacher. So uh, anyhow, that's how it all began. Oh. Um, I know over the course of the show, over the run of the show, uh, you know, you, you saw so many uh, – great people come on to the set uh-huh. um you know like lou ferrigno bill nye i think even um yeah. tony bennett at one right. point right right um, tony bennett. you know all these great people visited mr rogers neighborhood i'm curious what was it like uh for you working with these other people when they were on set and do you have like a favorite out of any of those people that you met oh i i, I do um uh, uh, you've seen wizard of oz of course yeah oh yeah and, and on the in Wizard is the Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton. That's the actress's name, Margaret Hamilton. And and so many people have told me, uh, even now, they said, you know, when I was growing up, that witch scared me. I still have nightmares. <laughs> uh, and the flying monkeys, that got them. And the flying monkeys and the witch all together. And so I said, Fred, you know, what we should do is is invite Margaret Hamilton, the actress, to come on the program and talk about her role as the witch on uh, in Wizard of Oz. And he said, well, if you can locate her, I'll write a script around it. T- talking about uh, you know the, the scary thing, is that was the sort of the theme of introducing Margaret Hamilton. And, and so I did. I, I located her and wrote a letter to her. And uh, her agent responded back saying Margaret would love to to come on the program. Her grandchildren watch the program. She watches with them. And she was a 
kindergarten teacher before she went into <laughs> into acting. And she said, you know, I've had other uh, people tell me about uh, the witch scaring them, and I'd like to be helpful. And she came on as in her everyday clothes, but carrying a witch's costume and talking about it being pretend that she's an actress and that's her job, etc. And they showed pictures of her. We were trying to get a clip from Wizard of Oz. We could have, but it was like $4,000 a second (laughs) to to do it. And we felt, Fred felt, well, okay, where our budget's not that high. Yeah, back then, I mean, now that's a lot of money. Back then, that's got to be... It was astronomical, yes. And uh, But I, I think there are a lot of people getting cuts out of it you know i'm sure the frank mm-hmm. baum estate and mgm and residuals and musicians and so forth at any rate we did use uh, stills black and white stills and that was just as, as work time and then in the neighborhood of make-believe she was in her witch's costume or one that looked like it and there was a story and at the end she came back to in her regular street clothes and and Fred talked about it, about it, and she did her laugh, her cackle, and it really helped a lot of families. I remember being, and still to this day, people remember uh, the Wicked Witch and and how it scared them and how it helped. Not only that particular movie, but thing children don't separate fantasy and reality. Very young kids, and Fred was helping him with that. And uh, you know how Halloween costumes scare a lot of young children when they mm-hmm. come they come to the door a lot of kids are uh, afraid who aren't going out yet the two-year-olds and maybe three-year-olds the halloween scares them and fred dealt with that it was really a lot of child development in the program a lot of people don't realize you know what young children go through he was that was the purpose of the program really is to help children uh, preschool children to everyday things that might be frightening or that might help them, um, you know, sibling rivalry, brothers and sisters who don't get along, and talking about jealousy, and it's an, such a human emotion. It's how you deal with it. Uh, it's how you deal with your anger and how you deal with being afraid and how you deal with other people's feelings. And they were all part of the neighborhood and and it was a lot of child psychology used in the program it wasn't just oh let's turn it on and have a you know a, a, a puppet show and yeah exactly it, the puppets were symbols of a, a child's uh, personality very fast facets of a child's personality daniel tiger was very shy and xcl had a uh, would love to learn, and and, and uh, Lady Elaine got into trouble a lot, and King Friday was a thir- was an authority figure, and things like that. Uh, they all it was all symbolic, a lot of it, but also a lot of fun too. That he kept the fun, but he it was educational, but more emotional learning, I think, uh, within the scripts that he wrote. He had a an advisor, somebody who worked at the University of Pittsburgh, who had worked earlier with Dr. Spock and Eric Erickson, the psychologist. She was a um, a woman who was an expert in children's play. You know, you can if you watch children playing, young children, 
you can learn a lot about what might, they might be thinking about. If there's a child who's troubled or it comes out in their play in some way, and if you're trained to see the signals, you might be able to help that child. So a lot of that was used in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood that I don't think a lot of people saw. You know, but in some ways, children picked up on it. Yeah. They couldn't articulate it, I don't think, but they, they could pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, it, it was it was definitely deeper than it kind of appeared on the surface. And I think oh, yeah. that's that's why I was around for so long. And, and that's yeah. why you even see a show like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been around already for, like, four years or so, which, yeah. uh, which my son, he, I mean, he's only 19 months, but he absolutely loves that show. And he, it, I mean, with kids being the sponges they are, um, having a show like that to kind of teach them those kind of lessons now, I think is very important for child development. Um, were you, did you get to get involved with, I know you don't do the voice of Mr. McFeely on on Daniel Tiger, but did you get to get involved at all with that show? Yeah, at the very beginning, uh, we all, in fact, uh, I, I work, uh, at home. I work mainly on the neighborhood and then on the pub, uh, the public relations of the neighborhood and, uh, on the beginnings of uh, of Daniel, uh, when Fred died, we had uh, the neighborhood. Of course, was still on, and we were uh, servicing the neighborhood and kept kept it going, uh, kept it going, and still did public relations and PR on it. But at the same time, we were trying to come up with a brainstorming to come up with another uh, program. And we worked, before Daniel started, we were working on taking elements of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like uh, the song that he wrote, What Do You Do With the Mad That You Feel, uh, which is about anger management. And we created some uh, lesson plans for teachers to uh, to use with children in their classes who may be acting out. So we're taking elements of the neighborhood and working on that as we were trying to work on uh, a new program. And yeah. that's how it evolved. So I, wor- I was working on the early parts of of Daniel, and now I do mainly. I work from home mainly, but I do uh, I do a lot of visits to uh, festivals and to because it's still being seen. You know, it's on Netflix, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as well and as Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. yeah, and also on PBS Kids on the weekends. A lot of stations show it on the weekend. So basically you can see it almost anytime you want to as opposed to to waiting for being and I think that's what 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 you guys uh experienced. It was more for you, it was more of a destination show. It was on every day, maybe after school or yeah. five o'clock and you would wait to see it. Now on any television show you can see it almost when you want to. You know, if you want to get up at four in the morning and watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you can. You know, by finding it on Amazon. So it's a different, it's a different dynamic now, and I think kids react differently now to it. And there's a different, uh, oh, uh, impact that it has on kids. Maybe they take television now more for granted, whereas you guys, it was more special, I think, mm-hmm. for you to, to see it sort of parceled out only when it was broadcast. <laughs> Am I making sense? You know, it's just oh, a yeah. different way, different way that, uh, and I think that's, 
the impact it had on a lot of the people I met at the Comic Con. It 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 was a special time in their day where they could sit down and watch the neighborhood. A lot of program, a lot of program managers of public stations across the country would do it at lunchtime, schedule it at lunchtime, and we get more thank yous for that. And then again at five o'clock. When families were getting ready for for dinner, it was a different time then. Yeah. Uh, but it still, I think, has the same impact on children whenever they watch it today. You know, it, it does uh, have a message, and I think kids kids get that message. But there's so much coming at them now. You know, there's so many programs out mm-hmm. there you can watch. But it, if they if people are introduced to it, if children are introduced to it, I think they'll 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 appreciate it yeah um I, I know you've made mention before not in this interview but in other interviews you've done how you know you were really really close friends with with uh-huh. fred rogers uh and almost to the point where he was a mentor of yours i know back in 1997 i believe uh-huh. it was uh he was given the lifetime achievement at the uh, the emmy awards right um, I'm curious, you know, being as close as you were to him and, and being a mentor of yours as he was and working with him for so long, uh-huh. um, you know, what was your reaction to that? Like, what did that have a special meaning to you as well when, oh, when that happened? Oh, it, it did. It, we worked at it. You had, you had to get, uh, there were some people, some producers in Los Angeles who belonged to the Academy. And I think every year when the lifetime achievement is given, it has a, there must be a panel or you have to make nominations. Mm-hmm. And the nominations come from within the industry. And so the person who was responsible for a lot of those, for getting Fred's name in the, in the mix, so to speak, called me and said, they did it. They're going to give Fred this, the, Lifetime Achievement uh, this year on the broadcast. And the broadcast that year happened to be from Radio City Music Hall. And so I was with them, uh, along with our producer we, we and Fred's wife. And they were sitting in the first row of the music hall, and we were back a little bit. And it was quite something to see the impact that, that Fred had that evening on all these people who were big names in television. Uh, gave him a standing ovation, and Tim Robbins, the actor, yeah. introduced him, and he was a big fan of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, uh, I remember he was in Pittsburgh making a, a film in the same studio that where we taped at a different time, but in, at the same time he was making this film on location, and you did some scenes in the studio, and he was so thrilled to find out that that's where they made the neighborhood. And then his wife at the time, or not his wife, his partner at the time, Susan Sarandon, uh, was in town making Lorenzo's oil, and she brought their children in to to meet Fred. Uh, they so so my point being that uh, Tim Robbins, they wanted someone to introduce, and he said, "What about Tim Robbins?" And so that's why he did it. Um, but that evening was very, very, it was very special, and. And I remember we were backstage. He had to go up to makeup in 
the music hall. If you're ever backstage the music hall, it's incredible. <laughs> I can imagine. They, they have these huge uh, elevators that take the scenery in. So we they said, well, okay, we'll take you down on the on the elevator. And, the, and we heard some footsteps running to catch the elevator. It was about 10 rockets who <laughs> 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 were going on, on the elevator with us because they were opening the show. But it was quite something. And then the the next award from the Academy was the introduction of the Television Hall of Fame, which was done in Hollywood, and that was about five years later. And they inducted him into the Hall of Fame, and that was quite an event. That's If you ever get a chance to see that, hey, um, I think it's on YouTube. It's called, there are two, there's one, the Lifetime Achievement is one. Which, yeah, but, that's the one I watched. Yes, and then there's, an, he spoke spoke there, but then there's another one, called the Induction to Television Hall of Fame, which has, oh, probably, they, they induct about five, six people a year. And it's from the, all the, the trades, not just actors and performers, it's makeup artists and agents and so forth. And uh, so the night that he was inducted, uh, the uh, Mary Tyler Moore group was inducted, and there were so many people. But Fred spoke for about maybe four minutes after his presentation of the, his award. And it's a, it's a wonderful speech. If you ever get a chance to, to, to watch it, it's on. It's called Television Hall of Fame. And it was that, that was about 1998, 99, 2000, something like that. Okay. So yeah, if you get a chance, your I'll viewers would, would like it too, I think. Yeah, yeah we'll have to, uh, have we'll to have to link one. it too. Pardon we can me? link it. We can link it and share it on our Facebook page too. Oh, you could do that. It. Yes, there yeah. are a lot of things that are uh, up. I noticed you can just Google. I've seen there are some promos I did for public television stations and a sweater drive that we did four or five years ago that's still up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a lot that's up there, but uh, but. That happens to be one of my favorites, or both two of my favorites, the Induction and the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, the, the Internet is, is truly a wonderful uh, thing. Uh, oh, it is <laughs> wonderful, and it can be awful, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's how you true. use it. You know, very that's true. exactly, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's exactly how Fred thought about television. He he saw television in the early days, this is the 50, early 50s, when they were just stringing together uh, cartoons and, and slapstick comedies together and having them interrupted by uh, the local news guy who was assi- or the sports guy who was assigned to do the kiddie show. And Fred said, we can do better than that. We can, you know, nothing wrong with cartoons and slapstick. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's a steady diet. Let's do something that really can help children rather than just use it to sell cornflakes. And that's what he did. He left NBC. That's where he was at NBC, working uh, as a floor manager on in a, in a, in a director's program. He was going to be a, a director, uh, a producer. And he saw what was happening in children's television, which he didn't think was very good. And he said, you know, I want to try my hand at that, and left NBC. And they, people said, you're crazy. Well, don't do that. You're on your way to fame and fortune, so to speak. And he said, no, I'd like to go to Pittsburgh, where the first public station was going on the air in 1954. And his was the first program called The Children's Corner. 
and it was a that was on the air for about seven years, live hour a day. He did so even before Mr. Rogers' Neighbors began, he had seven years of uh, of television under his belt. Uh, so it was a rehearsal for the for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So yeah. he, he's he had uh, a a lot of uh, experience dealing with television and. And he used it so differently. You know, he used it as a very intimate uh, meeting between his television friends, and we, oh, the 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 he always said the space between that television screen and the viewer is holy ground. He would call it, and he said whatever you put on there, especially for children, should be something that's positive and wholesome for that age group. And he did. Yeah, he, he definitely did. he definitely accomplished that. I mean, you know, TV, internet, they've both come a long way. Another thing and you know, another aspect, you know, kind of the way we met you, these comic cons and conventions uh-huh. that have really sort of uh expanded and exploded over the last several years. Do you get to do a lot of those conventions? I know you also uh find yourself out at some PBS events too. Uh, oh, yeah, I oh I've done a lot. I've been to every uh, stayed in the union now several times <laughs> doing the doing the uh, conventions and the not the conventions but the, uh, 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 an event at a public television station. Yeah, what's uh, like? What's that experience been like? I mean, oh, especially it's been you, wonderful. I mean, sometimes uh, this the station will have an open house mm-hmm. and uh, they'll invite families into the the studio as part of their local celebration and then another time a station will open a new tell a new public station they'll move and invariably i will meet um parents and grandparents who have grown up with the program and the stories i've heard and from over these many years uh, and they're all Usually, very positive. There are some people who say, "Well, why did you ever do that?" It's it it now it it's planted a seed. In, we did. I'll be specific. We did a program about a, a week on uh, divorce. The most requested topic we ever had from viewers and people who read is, "Could you help our family with this trauma of divorce?" Uh, we had a lot of letters like that, and so Fred. Never did read it. It took him five years to think about it. And he finally wrote a week about uh, how to deal with it and how to talk to children about it and how it should be approached. And he had a lot of advice. Anyhow, it was a very good week. It started off by a, a, a parent special on Sunday evening, and then the next week would be uh, the program for children. Anyhow, we get some letters saying, oh, now why did you ever do that? Our, our, now my son thinks it's going to happen in our family. <laughs> and I guess, you know, that's a chance you take. Uh, but I guess that person is, that family, maybe <laughs> if it ever happened, they could use the use yeah. the yeah. advice. And if they're but, lucky enough know, for it not you, to, I mean, there's always that family who does have it happen, and you might not yeah. see the letter, but you know it's affected them in, in a positive it, way. And then, for instance, the Margaret Hamilton segment, I remember a person coming, a, a woman coming up to us 
when we were in Los Angeles doing an event, and she said, "Oh, thank you for the the, the Margaret Hamilton episode because it really helped me explain scary events and monster types and under the you know monster under the bed to my my three year old." Again, again, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was designed specifically for preschoolers and I guess spilling over into the early elementary years. But then, then Fred said, "We've we've done our job if a ten-year-old doesn't watch anymore, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it, it was specific to yeah. that age group." Yeah. And and but he but what Fred really liked about his role in this creation of this series was the writing of it. He liked the creating, especially the music. He wrote his own music and songs. He, that was his favorite part. Being the host, he never did it to be famous. You know, that came with the territory. You know, he, you know, he never liked the adulation that he got in in the he didn't like being a public person that's not why he went into television he wanted to do it take this medium and use it for the good which he did but he paid the price of couldn't go, then he couldn't go anywhere yeah. not you know it just he couldn't go anywhere and, and the airports were hard to go through maneuver because everybody knew he was even even adults you know it wasn't just children into <laughs> but adults too so he made quite a impact on 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 children's television. I think yeah. a, a lot of people have, and the parodies that came out. Of too. <laughs> I was going to mention them too, and I didn't know if I should. Oh, I, uh, I get it all the time. I say, "What did Mister Rogers think of Eddie Murphy?" That's the one I was thinking of too. <laughs> <laughs> and well, well, I'll tell you, he. Uh, they did it without, you know, they called it Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Yeah. So they didn't have to get permission. You know, it's not called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I guess. And you're a public figure, and public figures you can do can be satirized. So uh, he did it. And then I start getting calls from the uh, producer of the show. Not Lauren Michaels. He, there was, this happened uh, the, when they first created it. It was during another producer's uh, term. Uh, I think Lauren Michaels wasn't there for about four years. At any rate, it happened during that point of. I can't remember the producer's name now, but anyhow, he he would call himself and say, "Do you think that Fred Rogers would come on our program during one of Eddie's sketches and surprise Eddie? There'd be a knock at the door, and Eddie wouldn't be told." <laughs> And he'd open the door, and there'd be Fred Rogers. And I would ask Fred, and, and I kept. They'd call every week, every week, every Monday after the before they started writing new segments. He'd call, and I finally said, Fred, I think that they think I'm not telling you. Do you think the next time we're in New York, they ask if you would stop in and meet Eddie? And so we did. We went, and Fred had never seen one of them. But he, they showed him a couple, and um, he, you know, he thought they were affectionate spoofs. He didn't think they were mean spirited. I didn't think they were mean. They were raunchy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't mean, and Fred saw that aspect of it. And Eddie was, this is when he was just on his rise. And we, so he didn't do it. We went back again and talked to him again. And Fred never did do it, but uh, I think it would have worked. Oh, that would have been brilliant. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what would have, they, they couldn't have gone much beyond, they could have opened with Eddie coming in and doing his opening. And, and then maybe there would be a knock at the door, and that would be Fred, and it would surprise Eddie. You know, it would bring the house down. They would <laughs> oh, reaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they then could have both sung Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and then go to commercial. Yeah. You know, it would have worked that way, I think. But Fred never did do it. He's done some other... Oh, he did... Uh, the only time he ever appeared as a guest on a on a program that that wasn't wasn't uh that he played another character was in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Do you remember that show? I do. Yeah. yeah. And he the producer of that program who wrote her own Beth Sullivan was her name and she was a big fan of Mr. Rogers' neighbor and called one day and said, "Do you think Fred Rogers would ever play a cameo on our program of of a minister coming to help the minister of that little town where Dr. Quinn took place. And I say, you know, I don't, Fred's not an actor. I don't think he'd want to do that. And so I asked him and thinking he'd, no, he wouldn't do that. He said, yes, I'll do that. I'd like that program. <laughs> he And he did. So we spent a day at the Paramount Ranch. I was an extra in it. And Fred had about seven lines. He was on screen maybe for oh, 10 minutes, all told. And uh, if you ever see a rerun, it's on. It's still they rerun Doctor Quinn and, on one of the cable channels, and it's every so often it's on. But he did that, and he he loved doing that. And there was another time. Oh, the other time that I didn't think he would say yes, but did. Uh, in night, there was the 75th anniversary of the National Hawk uh, the N. Uh, NHL, National Hockey League, mm. had their 75th anniversary. This is going back 20 years, I guess. Uh, and every team in the league was to pick an honorary captain, whoever. It was Michael J. Fox in one city, and I forget who in another. But they wanted the Pittsburgh Penguins wanted Fred as their honorary um, captain. And I, I said, oh, he'll never do this. And he did. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And they, he skated out, no less. He could skate. And at halftime, they made the award and brought him out. He skated out. They gave him the official jacket. And, and it was standing ovation. And in some cities, the, the host... The honorary awardee couldn't skate, so they put a carpet down. And he walked out, but Fred skated out. <laughs> <laughs> we had so Peggy, cool. We had Peggy Fleming on the show too. Uh, she was in town for one of the ice capades, and uh, she was a big fan. And Fred skated with her, and there was a little segment about, and that got into not just because she was famous or an Olympic winner, it was the practice of doing something if you want to learn how to skate ride a bike swim or whatever play a musical instrument you just don't do it magically 
you have to practice at it, mm-hmm. and it takes it takes time. And that was the lesson that he wanted to get across. It doesn't magically happen. If you want to do it, you've got to do it. You've got to practice at it. Everything had a a, a meaning, and as well as being entertaining. You know, she was a lovely person, and so he skated around the the rink with her, and we were under the gun because we did this uh, between, I guess, two shows that she was doing, and the next show was, they had to open the arena at 7 o'clock, and we were, it was was a quarter of 7, and we still had one more segment to go, (laughs) and we got it done, we got it done, and that's on too, so it's been wonderful, all of these different uh, uh, segments, and I'm sitting in my office here at home, and you, we mentioned uh, Tony Bennett, and I'm looking at a picture right now of Lady Elaine Fairchild. It's a charcoal that, that I have framed, and it says uh, Benavidetto, or Benav- that's his name. And he came on the program and sang a song, but as he was doing that, he was doing a portrait of Lady Elaine Fairchild. Uh, sketching it uh, in in chalk, and he did two: one for the rehearsal and one for the take. And I have one of the two. I have it framed here, sitting. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. And I have a picture of me that was drawn by uh, Maury Turner, who was a he did a cartoon strip called We Pals. That was he since passed away, but this was in syndicated for years and years. He was a uh, 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 a black cart, the first animator or cartoonist, you know, did a strip who was black. And he he was a wonderful person. And, and, and Fred wanted to show all types, all uh, a diversity in the world, people doing everything that people can do, you know, the possibilities that exist out there. That too was. You know, he was on just talking about cartoons, but the the surf, the underneath part of that is here you are, anybody, you know, you can do, there are possibilities in this life, mm-hmm. and there's a smorgasbord out there, and Fred wanted to show that smorgasbord of possibilities for children, uh, and you do it not by saying you're doing it, but by just by doing it and let them pick it up. Can I, do I have time to tell you what uh, what Fred learned at one of his uh, when he was studying child development? Uh, this is I think how Fred uh, how the program what do you how he used the program when he was studying child development he he would observe this particular uh, class during the semester at the University of Pittsburgh and. Each week, there would be one of the parents of the children who would come in and show the class what that parent did for a living. You know, there was a cook one time came in, and there was a a carpenter, things like that. And then there was a a sculptor who came in to the classroom, bought a big chunk of modeling clay, and put it down on the table in front of the kids. And they were all around the table and didn't say much just started to go into the clay and make a simple figure of some sort and the the 
the children followed suit, and for months afterwards, they said the the artwork that those children turned out was just wonderful. But uh, Fred would say there's a saying, a Quaker saying, of attitudes are caught, not taught. And if you love doing something in front of children that you love, and this artist certainly loved what he was doing, the children caught his enthusiasm, and they learned by that example. They then, in turn, made their own figurine or sculpture or whatever in their own way. Uh, and I think that's how Fred used the program, too. He would do things like showing the artist, like showing a, a singer, a dancer, a, a telephone repair person, mm-hmm. loving what they were doing. It was very yeah. obvious and children would catch that. In fact, there's a, uh, a cellist whose name, whose name is Esperanza Spalding. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's quite something. She must be 28 now. And she plays classical, but she plays jazz, and she does solo concerts. And Esperanza, Esperanza is her first name. Spalding is the second name. If you ever have a chance to see her in concert, she's wonderful. She has said in interviews that she learned the, to love the cello because of watching Yo-Yo Ma on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> she said that in so many different interviews. And he is another person. Yo-Yo Ma, is, we've had him on three or four times, and he was a good friend of Fred's. He's a wonderful person beyond being a superb musician. And... You know, he loves, you can see him playing on the neighborhood and Fred sit, sitting there watching him. And you can tell the man loves what he's doing. And as children, they don't have to be another Yo-Yo Ma, but they could love his appreciation of music. Mm-hmm, right. That's what Fred was hoping that they would do. Not that everybody's going to turn into Yo-Yo Ma. That's, that's not his goal. It was to have people appreciate and in love something that they're observing you know you can't not you can not everybody loves everything but you know that's why he showed so many different possibilities yeah i hope i'm the i'm just i'm just I, you've opened me up here and bring me back all of them. <laughs> no, it, it's it's fine. I mean, I, I, quite honestly, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you know you're going to work on a book, and I really hope you do because, yeah. I mean, the stories that you have, uh, I mean, I, we could talk to you for probably for hours. Yeah, yeah we definitely everything. will have to at some point have you back because I could just well, listen to all your stories for. Well, hours. I'd be glad to. Anytime you want to, we can do we can do part two sometime. But I yeah. hope you're <laughs> absolutely. I, I hope your listeners. I, the one thing that I hope this interview does is that your listeners who may not have seen or realized the depth of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it had a depth to it that was more than just a kiddie show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, going it, back is it like having a, a kid now, going back and watching it with him, I, that's kind of shown me that you don't really notice it when you're, when you're young because you don't necessarily remember it, but... When you go back and watch it as an adult, you do actually kind of see that. But but also, you're watching it. However, you you did pick something up, but you went didn't realize you were doing it. It was right subliminal, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's in in a, in a way that's what Fred wanted to do is just introduce children to 
positive, and also the the relationships between people. Everything on the program, there were people who who were angry at each other, and that's the other thing he dealt with. This angry. He wrote a song called "What Do You Do with the Mad That You Feel." When you feel so mad that you can bite, and that was those words were what a child said to Fred once, and Fred took his those exact words. He was asking Fred a question. You know, I get so mad I could bite. Probably his brother or sister or somebody in the class, and Fred would write the song, hoping that there to teach children alternate alternate ways of of expressing your feelings, expressing your... Nothing wrong with being angry. That's a human emotion, but it's how you deal with it. And that's what Fred, through different ways of showing that... In fact, that we went to Stomp, you know, the uh, performance group Stomp. Yeah, yeah. We went to their show in in New York and and watched... They did a special uh, segment for us before the show started. And tape that and it all worked into angry feelings because they would bang on drums they'd use different objects to make sounds so you ever see that group but it tours still touring uh, try to see it because it's an excellent uh, uh, just very creative yeah I've, anyway. I've seen i've seen a number of their specials and uh i, I love I, I was a musician growing up so it's i love stuff okay like you, that. so you'd, you'd appreciate well fred yeah. is a musician too you know he played the piano and that was his instrument and i think the uh, the clarinet he played too but piano was his he he loved the piano he could do it he could play by ear and johnny costa was our musical director and he could play by ear and the two of them no piano tuner could get away with anything they could hear one note they could hear we i'll tell you i'll I know we have to wrap up here, but <laughs> when we were making a recording, Fred would record uh, the songs for albums and then eventually CDs, and we recorded it, and Fred listened to a playback, and there was a note that one of the musicians played that wasn't quite right. Uh, it, no one, I didn't notice it, no one, and they played it back for Fred, and he said, everything's fine except that one note after whatever you know he knew where where it was and he they fixed it they were able to go back and change the note he could he could he could tell uh he was a, a perfectionist in that way he uh, well, then one more thing <laughs> <laughs> he one one year he went with a lot of other producers to uh to india to create for three weeks to create a program sort of a pilot program for Indian uh, children, for their Indian uh, television. And they got together, and all these producers from the U.S. and I think uh, England and uh, some other countries got together and made this pilot program, and they wrote it, and it came. The last thing was to do was to tape it. So they were in the studio taping the program, and something didn't work. There was a cue like a, a bell didn't ring or something, and they had a stop tape, and uh, and the some one of the technicians said, "Oh, it's just a children's program," and Fred said, "That's my point. It's a children's <laughs> program. We have to do our best yeah, that we exactly. can do 
for children. It's not just a children's program. It's a very important program for children, and let's do it right. Yeah. So that was his. That was Fred, and he wanted to do the, the best he could for children. Uh, not only and and more in the content. That's what he was concerned about: the content in the program. Yeah. Anyhow, that's what I hope your <laughs> listeners uh, get out of all of this. Well, oh. if if they're anything like us, I can tell you, David, you can't really see it, but uh, just talking to you, I've had a huge smile on my face. Like <laughs> just listening to your your stories, and I'm sure you have so many others. Oh, I do, I do, uh, and we will absolutely have to have you back on just to talk oh, well. more. Well, I anytime this. you let me know, and you know how to get a hold of me. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Pittsburgh for your listeners, and if you ever want to give out, uh, if anybody ever needs an autograph, uh, uh, let me just give you the the email. Sure. Yeah. It's simply D, like in David, D Newell, N E W E L L, one nine five six at gmail dot com. You you must have that right. Yeah, yeah, we can put that in the description too. This way, and, uh, and also you can give the, uh, the there's a website for uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and, you know, a, a store where they can buy. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, know actually, um, uh, your your autograph picture from the uh, the Comic Con we met you at is actually uh, hanging up on our fridge, and it will remain oh, there. Good. For some time. <laughs> so you have the information. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was nice meeting you again over the phone. And yes. uh, hello to all of your listeners and speedy delivery to them. And, uh, <laughs> tell them where they can see Mr. Rogers. It's still out there. So tell them to tell them to introduce it to their children and their Absolutely. grandchildren and yeah. nieces and nephews. Absolutely. It, well, it's, it's a timeless show at this point. So it's yes. Oh, it is. It's like Wizard of Oz in a way. Yeah. That's timeless. Yeah. It really is. Uh, but David, oh. th- this has been an absolute pleasure. We we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for okay. spending some and time. And now with us. I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say "Speedy Delivery," even <laughs> the listeners. Now here we go: one, two, three. Speedy, Speedy Delivery. delivery. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, stick around, guys. We'll be back with more Showcast right after this. <laughs> <laughs> 